Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to 60 Minutes ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event details on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. This episode is brought to you in part by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like The Guest List by Lucy Foley. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. I start seeing the colors and the geometric designs and then boom, visions began. Visions brought about by the powerful psychedelic drug psilocybin, administered by scientists aimed at helping people suffering from depression, anxiety, and addiction. Do you ever have a day where you wake up and you're like, man, I wish I could have a vodka right now or a beer? Not at all, which is the craziest thing because that was my favorite thing to do. The image on the left shows connections within the brain before psilocybin, on the right, after. Malta sits as a sun-dappled speck in the Mediterranean, a short ferry ride to Sicily and not much farther to Libya. Over the last three millennia, Malta has been conquered or colonized by just about every world power. Most of the 500,000 people here are Catholic, a tradition that started early. The Apostle Paul is said to have been shipwrecked here in 60 AD. But as you'll see, today, the proud Maltese are dealing with accusations that are far from holy. Few people can say they have ever played at the Super Bowl. This year, Shakira added her name to that list. We went to Spain to watch the five-foot-three-inch ball of energy work, mix a new song, and keep the father of her two children Barca star Gerard Piquet on his toes. You said, I'm going to win the World Cup just to see you at the finals. Okay. Didn't you? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Leslie Stahl. I'm Bill Whitaker. I'm Anderson Cooper. I'm John Wertheim. I'm Scott Pelley. Those stories tonight. 
on 60 Minutes. June's Journey is a fascinating hidden object mystery gaming app where you'll play as June Parker, tasked with a daunting obligation, solve your sister's murder. Set in the 1920s, the era of glitz and glam, this family mystery is one for the ages. Everyone's a suspect until your investigation determines otherwise. The clues are all around you, hidden within tricky twists and turns. You'll collect detailed information about each character in your photo album where you'll comb over every detail. You can even join a detective's club to chat and play with others or against them in the detective's league. With hundreds of puzzles to solve, you should probably get started today. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. For most of us, psychedelic drugs conjure up images of the 1960s, hippies tripping out on LSD or magic mushrooms. But as we reported last fall, these powerful, mind-altering substances are now being studied seriously by scientists inside some of the country's foremost medical research centers. They're being used to treat depression, anxiety, and addiction, and early results are impressive as are the experiences of the study's volunteers who go on a six-hour, sometimes terrifying, but often life-changing psychedelic journey deep into their own minds. People ask me, do you want to do it again? I said, hell no. I don't want to go do that again. It was really that bad. Oh, it was awful. The entire time, other than the very end and the very beginning, I was crying. Kareen McLaughlin is talking about the hallucinogenic experience she had here at Johns Hopkins University after being given a large dose of psilocybin, the psychedelic agent in magic mushrooms, as part of an ongoing clinical trial. We tell people that their experiences may vary from very positive to you know, transcendent and lovely to literally hell realm experiences. Hell realm. As frightening an experience as you have ever had in your life. That's scientist Roland Griffiths. For nearly two decades now, he and his colleague Matthew Johnson have been giving what they call heroic doses of psilocybin to more than 350 volunteers, many struggling with addiction, depression, and anxiety. Can you tell who is going to have a, a bad experience, who's going to have a transcendent experience? Our ability to predict that is almost none at all. Really? And about a third will. Um, at, our, at a high dose say that they have something like that, what mm. folks would call a bad trip. But most of those folks will actually say that that was key to the experience. Kareen McLaughlin was a smoker for 46 years and said she tried everything to quit before being given psilocybin at Johns Hopkins last year. Psilocybin itself is non-addictive. Do you remember what, like, specifically what you were seeing? Or Yes, the ceiling of this room were clouds, like heavy rain clouds, and gradually they were lowering, and I thought I was going to suffocate from the clouds. That was more than a year ago. She says she hasn't smoked since. The study she took part in is still ongoing, but in an earlier small study of just 15 long-term smokers, 80 percent had quit six months after taking psilocybin. That's double the rate of any over-the-counter smoking secession product. They come to a profound shift of worldview, essentially a shift in sense of self. That I think they, they see their life in a different way. Their worldview changes, and uh, and they are less identified with that self narrative. Uh, people might use the term ego, and that creates this sense of freedom. And not just with smokers. Beer usually cocktails, usually vodka sodas, tequila sodas, 
scotch and sodas. John Costacopoulos was drinking a staggering 20 cocktails a night and had been warned he was slowly killing himself when he decided to enroll in another psilocybin trial at New York University. During one psilocybin session, he was flooded with powerful feelings and images from his past. Stuff would come up that I haven't thought of since they happened. So old memories that you hadn't even remembered came back to you? I felt, you know, a lot of shame and embarrassment throughout one of the sessions about my drinking and how bad I felt for my parents to put up with all this. He took psilocybin in 2016. He says he hasn't had a drink since. Do you ever have a day where you wake up and you're like, man, I wish I could have a vodka right now or a beer? Never. Not at all. Not at all. Which is the craziest thing because that was my favorite thing to do. I want you to lie back, put the eye shade on and the headphones and let the music carry you now. Using psychedelic drugs and therapy is not new. There were hundreds of scientific studies done on a similar compound, LSD, in the 1950s and 60s. It was tested on more than 40,000 people, some in controlled therapeutic settings like this one, but there were also abuses. The U.S. military and CIA experimented with LSD, sometimes without patients' knowledge. Fear over rampant drug use and the spread of the counterculture movement, not to mention Harvard professor Timothy Leary urging people to turn on, tune in, and drop out, led to a clampdown. This nation faces a major crisis in terms of the increasing use of drugs, particularly among our young people. In 1970, President Richard Nixon signed the Controlled Substances Act, and nearly all scientific research in the U.S. into the effects of psychedelics on people stopped. It wasn't until 2000 that scientist Roland Griffiths won FDA approval to study psilocybin. This whole area of research has been in the deep freeze for 25 or 30 years. And so as a scientist, sometimes I feel like Rip Van Winkle. And once you saw results... Yeah, the red light started flashing. This is extraordinarily interesting. It's unprecedented. And the capacity of the human organism to change, it just was astounding. It sounds like you are endorsing this for everybody. Yeah, let's be really clear on that. We are very aware of the risks and would not recommend uh, that people simply go out and do this. Griffiths and Johnson screen out people with psychotic disorders or with close relatives who have had schizophrenia or bipolar disorder. Study volunteers at Johns Hopkins are given weeks of intensive counseling before and after the six-hour psilocybin experience. The psilocybin is given in a carefully controlled setting one to three times. To date, they say, there's not been a single serious adverse outcome. So I'm going to tuck you in. We were told we couldn't record anyone participating in the study while they were on psilocybin because it might impact their experience. But we were shown how it begins without the psilocybin. Questions? Nope. You lay on a couch with a blindfold to shut out distractions. Put the headphones on. And headphones playing a mix of choral and classical music. A psychedelic soundtrack with a trained guide, Mary Casamano, watching over you. Okay, so give me your hand. So I'm going to take your hand. Everything is done the same way it was for the LSD experiments scientists conducted in the 1950s and 60s. 
Some of the most dramatic results have been with terminal cancer patients struggling with anxiety and paralyzing depression. I start seeing the colors and the geometric designs, and it's like, oh, this is so cool, and how lovely, and, and then boom, visions began. Carrie Pappas was diagnosed with stage 3 lung cancer in 2013. During her psilocybin session, she found herself trapped in a nightmare her mind created. An ancient, prehistoric, barren land. And there's these men with pickaxes just slamming on the rocks. So, And this felt absolutely real to you? Absolutely real. I was being shown the truth of reality. Life is meaningless. We have no purpose. And then I look, and I'm still like a witness of beautiful, shimmering, bright jewel. And then it was sound, and it was booming, 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 right here, right now. That was being said? Yes. You are alive right here, right now, because that's all you have. And that is my mantra right to here, this right day. It seems so implausible to me that a single experience caused by a molecule, right, ingested in your body, could transform your outlook on something as profound as death. That's, that's kind of amazing. Author Michael Pollan wrote about the psilocybin studies in a best-selling book called How to Change Your Mind. As part of his research, he tried psilocybin himself with the help of an underground guide. The kind of things that cancer patients were saying, like, I, I touched the face of God. You were skeptical about when you hear phrases like that. Yeah. Or love is the most important thing in the universe. When someone tells me that, I was like, yeah, okay. So you don't, you don't go for some of the phrases that no, are No, it makes, gives me the willies as a writer. And I really struggle with that because during one of my experiences, I came to the earth-shattering conclusion that love is the most important thing in the universe. But it's, that's Hallmark card stuff, right? Mm. And, um, so and yet, while you were on it and afterward... It was profoundly true. And it is profoundly true. Guess what? Um, There's a reason it's on a Hallmark card. There is a reason. And one of the things psychedelics do is they peel away all those essentially protective levels of irony and, and cynicism that we, that we acquire as we get older. And you're back to those kind of, oh, my God, I forgot all about love. Pollan said he also experienced what the researchers describe as ego loss or identity loss, the quieting of the constant voice we all have in our heads. I did have this experience of seeing my ego um, burst into a, a little cloud of post-it notes. I know, it sounds crazy. And what are you without an ego? You're, uh, <laughs> you had to be there. <laughs> Researchers believe that sensation of identity loss occurs because psilocybin quiets these two areas of the brain that normally communicate with each other. They're part of a region called the default mode network, and it's especially active when we're thinking about ourselves and our lives. And it's where you connect what happens in your life to the story of who you are. We, we all develop a story right. over time about over time. what our past was like uh, and, and who what we kind are. of person we are, how we react. And that the fact is that interesting things happen when the self goes quiet in the brain, uh, including this rewiring that happens. To see that rewiring, Johns Hopkins scientist Matthew Johnson showed us this representational chart of brain activity. 
The circle on the left shows normal communication between parts of the brain. On the right, what happens on psilocybin? There's an explosion of connections or crosstalk between areas of the brain that don't normally communicate. The difference is just startling. Right. Is that why people are having experiences of seeing, you know, repressed memories or past memories or people who have died or... That's what we think. And even the perceptual effects, sometimes the synesthesia, like the, the seeing sound. People see sound? Yeah, sometimes. Well, I, I don't even know what that means. Right, yeah. It's, it's... <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. Maybe the ego is one character among many in your mind, and you don't necessarily have to listen to that voice that's chattering at you and criticizing you and telling you what to do. And that's very freeing. It was certainly freeing for Carrie Pappas, though her cancer has now spread to her brain, her crippling anxiety about death is gone. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, I feel like death doesn't frighten me. Living doesn't frighten me. I don't frighten me. This frightens me. But... This interview frightens you? <laughs> but death doesn't? <laughs> no. It turns out most of the 51 cancer patients in the Johns Hopkins study experienced significant decreases in depressed mood and anxiety after trying psilocybin. Two-thirds of them rated their psilocybin sessions as among the most meaningful experiences of their lives. For some, it was on par with the birth of their children. To this day, it evolves in me. It's still alive in you. It's still absolutely alive in me. Does it make you happier? Yeah, and, and I don't necessarily use the word happy. Comfortable. Hmm. Like, comfortable. I mean, I've suffered from anxiety my whole life. I'm comfortable. That, to me, okay, I can die. I'm comfortable. I mean, it's huge. It's huge. Do you ever wonder where all your money went? Like every single time you look at your bank account? Honestly, it's probably all those subscriptions. I felt that way too, until I got Rocket Money. Rocket Money helped me see all the subscriptions I'm paying for, and it was eye-opening. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it all adds up so quickly. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Before the coronavirus pandemic ravaged the world and battered economies, Malta, the smallest country in the European Union, was punching above its weight. As we first reported in 2018, this mere blip in the Mediterranean was home to one of the EU's fastest-growing economies, priding itself on this surge and its plucky personality. But along with old charms and new construction, Malta was earning a reputation for rampant corruption and dubious dealings. And then there was the matter of the assassination of a journalist, Daphne Caruana Galizia, whose revelations cut a little too close to the heart of power. Malta sits as a sun-dappled speck in the Mediterranean. Three small islands, a short ferry ride from Sicily, and not much farther to Libya, the southern gateway to Europe. It can be hard to get your bearings here. Over the last three millennia, 
Malta has been conquered or colonized by just about every world power, and each has left its mark. Most of the 500,000 people here are Catholic, a tradition that started early. The Apostle Paul is said to have shipwrecked here in 60 AD. I find this to be a good metaphor of Maltese culture. Mark Anthony Falzone is an anthropology professor and local newspaper columnist. The story is that uh, St. Paul converted the Maltese to Christianity. So that would mean that Malta was one of the first places to be converted to Christianity, even before Rome. <laughs> so we would be the original and the best Christians. A small band of crusaders, later known as the Knights of Malta, fended off the mighty Ottomans in the 16th century. Under British rule, the Maltese survived more than 3,000 German and Italian bombing raids in World War II. Malta gained its independence in 1964. And since then, this country, with little heavy industry and not much arable land, has had to figure out a way to get by on its own. Remnants of its fabled past have made it irresistible to Hollywood producers. Parts of Gladiator were filmed here. Are you not entertained? And Game of Thrones. Europeans flock here for a budget tan, oligarchs to dock their super yachts. Malta's already an established hub of online gambling. No more bets, good luck. But since taking over in 2013, the current government has sought to refashion the country as a mecca for emerging and complex technologies like cryptocurrency and blockchain. The 45-year-old Prime Minister, Joseph Muscat, is the high priest of this new gospel. Welcome to Malta. Welcome to the blockchain island. Thank you. These industries may be thriving in this sunny place, yet they're known to attract more than their fair share of shadowy people. But that's nothing new. For centuries, Malta played host to pirates and smugglers, operating in what Mark Anthony Falzone calls the center of the fringes. It strikes me there's a certain ingenuity, a certain scrappiness here. Um, yes, and scrappiness also means flexibility. Does that also pertain to uh, a willingness to bend rules, a flexibility in that sense? No doubt. <laughs> um, uh, yes. The person who never bends the rules, they are thought of as a bit of a good boy. Which is not a term of endearment. No, a good boy is not a very good thing to be. Um, uh, it's naive. While we have increased... Perhaps in that same entrepreneurial spirit... The government has launched a program, some call it a scheme, to sell passports to the world's super-rich. Have a spare million? You too could buy Maltese citizenship. And, as this promotional video shows, the European Union passport that comes with it. As citizens of Malta, successful applicants can enjoy visa-free access to approximately 170 countries. Who's buying these passports? Russian tycoons, Chinese tycoons, Saudi tycoons, Nigerian tycoons. For Manuel Dalia, an online journalist and longtime critic of the current government, the program, estimated to have brought in almost a billion dollars, is essentially a Trojan horse, allowing those with dubious aims to breach Europe's borders. Why would they want a Maltese passport? Because they want to go in the rest of the world hiding where they're really from. Uh, Maltese passports give them not only free movement for themselves through European airports, but it gives their money, their capital, free movement throughout Europe. 
and free movement to the United States. American airport, you've got that Maltese passport validated by the EU. You go right through passport control. Visa free, absolutely. So that's a big reason to have it. Applicants to the Golden Passport Program, as it's come to be known, are supposed to show that they've established residence in Malta for at least a year. But when we check the listed address for a Russian tycoon, it led us here. Down there in the basement. To a modest suburb and run-down basement apartment that had been divided in two. Let's just call this what it is. This, this is a fraud. It is a fraud. It's a fraud. What, what's worse is perpetrated by the state. It's not just sanctioned by the state. There are other countries in Europe where money can get you a passport, but in tiny Malta, it has helped contribute to the economic boom. And yet if Malta is suddenly flush with cash, in other ways it's bankrupt, at least according to journalist Daphne Caruana Galizia, who spent years chronicling organized crime as well as high-level corruption for Malta's major newspapers and then on her blog, Running Commentary. When she launched the site in 2008, her son Matthew says it quickly turned into a must-read. How would you describe her blog, Running Commentary, to someone that, that hadn't read it before? It was completely revolutionary. She became known simply as Daphne, and just as quickly became a reviled figure in some corners of Malta, vilified by government officials, subjected to libel suits, and to death threats. Do you ever think to say, Mom, you got to stop the blog, you've got to stop poking and provoking, this is getting dangerous. Of course she felt fear, and you could see it. She knew that the powerful people that she was writing about were closing in on her. They were using every possible means to shut her down. She knew that, and that frightened her deeply. Then, on the afternoon of October 16, 2017, Matthew was sitting across from his mother at the dining room table in the family home as she finished a blog post. There are crooks everywhere you look now, she wrote. The situation is desperate. Just before 3 p.m., she left the house to go to the bank. And then what seemed like 30 seconds later, I hear the explosion. And just it was just so loud. Daphne's car made it less than a mile down the road through the valley when a powerful bomb placed under her seat was detonated, sending thick black smoke into the air. Matthew ran toward the wreckage. So you think this is where I think this, this is, is where, where it, this is where the bomb went off. It's been marked by the forensic team. And this is where a lot of the flesh and metal and plastic was. The car ended up in a field 100 yards away, consumed by a fireball. Matthew's first instinct was to try and get his mother out. I remember walking up to the driver's side and just seeing fire. I didn't see anything else inside the car. There are a lot of ways to kill someone. What do you think the significance of a car bomb this powerful was? Obviously, it was a way of killing my mother, a way of sending a message to us, to our family, and a way of sending a message to anyone else who was thinking of doing anything about the really grand corruption in this country. This was a symbolic gesture. It was. For the mourners who attended Daphne's funeral, her assassination was symbolic of just how corroded Malta had become under a government that she claimed doesn't just tolerate corruption, but encourages it. The list of scandals she exposed and relentlessly pursued is too numerous to catalog here and includes allegations of cronyism, bribery, and money laundering. But there's one revelation that stands out, involving a murky Maltese bank recently shuttered by European authorities. 
It allegedly held accounts for some of Malta's most well-connected, including the prime minister's chief of staff, Keith Schembri. As Daphne chronicled, Schembri is alleged to have taken kickbacks for brokering Malta's billion-dollar national energy deal and for taking payoffs to help Russian millionaires snag those coveted Maltese passports. Keith Schembri is still in business. He's the chief of staff of the prime minister. He's the most powerful man in this government. He went to work today. He went to work today. With this cloud hovering over him. Well, this is what impunity is about. This is why I'm angry. Schembri denies any wrongdoing, but leaked findings into the passport kickback allegations by Malta's own financial watchdog determined that there was, quote, reasonable suspicion of money laundering and or the existence of proceeds of crime. Maltese justice officials are looking into both sets of allegations. What's more, there have been multiple inquiries by European authorities, all raising serious questions about corruption in Malta. We put all this to Glenn Bedingfield, a local member of parliament and former advisor to the prime minister. What's your level of concern? I don't have any concerns. You have no concerns about corruption? No, because I think that there is a smear campaign trying to hit the government. All of this is a politically charged smear campaign? It is a politically charged smear campaign, The EU, the European authorities... Can you you quote from an EU... I can quote from an EU report... uh... Right now, this is Anna Maria Gomez, an MEP. Oh, 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 oh. Anna Maria Gomez. We are taking up Malta in the European Parliament. When we met her, Anna Maria Gomez was a Portuguese member of the European Parliament, leading an EU inquiry into the rule of law in Malta. She was part of a growing chorus of officials who see the country as a problem child on the continent. The system is basically flawed because the prime minister ultimately controls the attorney general who also controls the police. Nobody is being tried. And, of course, the sense of impunity is being fueled by this fact. And it affects us all. Something's rotten in the state of Malta, I hear you say. Yes, and such a beautiful island and such a great people, such a proud history. But uh, I must say that at the moment, indeed, the political uh, atmosphere is, is, is rotten. We repeatedly asked to speak with Prime Minister Muscat but we're told he didn't have time. Instead, the government put forward the finance minister, Edward Chikluna. Can you not see how people looking at Malta from the outside really wonder about integrity and corruption here? It is not that picture you're, you're depicting. It looks bad, but it's not. I want to be clear. This is a it depiction is. based on multiple different authorities all inside in Europe. They're all allegations. They're allegations that have come out of investigations. These aren't ad hominem no, no, attacks. No, not a, I, I'm not trying to downplay allegations. Allegations are serious, but they're still allegations. You know, it's up to the courts and the procedures and their experts to, dis- to decide. The supporters of Daphne Caruana Galizia have no faith in these experts and procedures, especially when it comes to solving her murder. After a high-profile government raid nearly two years ago, three men were detained, figures she didn't know and never wrote about. But few doubt the assassination was ordered by one of her many powerful enemies. How will you know when you have justice? When all the corrupt people that she was reporting on treating our country as a gigantic trough which they're feeding from for years, when they've paid the price for that, then there will be justice for my mother's stories. But there also has to be justice for her murder too. 
The old ramparts designed to protect Malta from conquest and colonization still stand tall. But outside forces that once might have invaded the country now look on with concern, waiting to see whether Malta can confront itself and move in from the center of the fringes. Since we first broadcast this story, Joseph Muscat, Malta's prime minister, resigned in disgrace amidst a firestorm over his handling of the investigation into Daphne's death. His chief of staff, Keith Skembri, left too. And one of the wealthiest men in Malta with close ties to the Muscat government has been arrested. His business dealings had been a target of Daphne's investigations. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Shakira is one of the world's biggest music stars, a crossover phenomenon with hits in both Spanish and English. She has won three Grammys, 11 Latin Grammys, and amassed a $350 million fortune. On her 43rd birthday, she hit one of her highest notes, performing at the halftime show at this year's Super Bowl with Jennifer Lopez. It's a remarkable journey for a woman who was cut from her elementary school choir in Colombia. Her classmates said she sounded like a goat. Shakira now lives in Spain. We went to see her there, and as we first reported in January, found an artist bristling with restless energy and drive that sometimes torture her, but always propel her, lifting her to one of the biggest stages in the world, the Super Bowl in Miami. Two months before kickoff... Shakira lit up center court at the Davis Cup tennis tournament in Madrid with the kind of full-throated, hip-thrusting performance that has electrified audiences for more than two decades. This was her first live performance in more than a year, a warm-up for the Super Bowl, and a showcase for the distinctive music and eye-catching moves that have catapulted her to one-name international pop star status. Shakira fills huge stadiums around the world. Her devotees cry out, sometimes just plain cry, to hear hits like Hips Don't Lie. I've seen you running around, you go from guitar to the drums. dancing and singing, it just looks like you're having so much fun. Are you? Oh, yeah. I have a blast on stage. I feel that that's my turf. It's a comfortable place for me. You feel the music? I listen to music through my body. Even when I'm mixing songs in the recording studio, if I don't move, I know that there's something wrong. I say, do you see that moving? Do you see my hips moving? It's not working. <laughs> Hips don't lie. <laughs> a lot of your dance moves are quite provocative. 
That's what my mom says. <laughs> That's what your mom says. Now you're says. sounding like her. <laughs> it just comes out like that. So you're just feeling it, and that's that's what happens. It's the way I move, baby. <laughs> <laughs> When it comes to her moves and her music, Shakira leaves nothing to chance. The Davis Cup performance in November was just eight minutes. She spent a full month rehearsing. When we dropped in, we saw an artist in constant motion and total control. She fine-tunes the fine points of every performance. No detail is too small whether working on the choreography, critiquing the dancers, the hair police. The hair police. <laughs> or directing the timing of the show. From she wolf into tutu, right? That's the one you stretch out? They used to call James Brown the hardest working man in show business. It seemed to us Shakira is vying for that title. In the studio, on the stage, Shakira strives for perfection. I can't really be hard on myself, wanting it to be 100% perfect, but I know perfection doesn't exist, but um, it's a lesson I haven't quite learned yet. <laughs> if it were up to me, I wouldn't be uh, celebrating any of my performances, really. None of them? None of them, no. There's always something that I wish would have been done differently and that I could have done better. Where she sees imperfection, her multitude of fans see incandescence. She has sold 80 million records worldwide. Five albums cracked the U.S. Billboard Top 10. She writes or co-writes nearly all her songs. What does creating the music uh, do for you? Sometimes... It saves me a visit to shrink. <laughs> Literally. It's cathartic. Such a therapeutic, yeah, cathartic vehicle, you know, for me to express my thoughts, my angst. Sometimes I'm just restless, and I don't know what it is. And I think it's what I just need is a piece of paper and a pen or my computer and just start writing. And then being able to put music to those words is something really beautiful, I guess. Her distinctive sound is a blend of the music and colors of home, the coastal Colombian city of Barranquilla, a melting pot of cultures, indigenous, European, African, Middle Eastern. I have a little bit of everything in my blood. You mix all of those elements with your dance and the sounds of your music? You know, when I was a kid, I wanted to be an anthropologist. I guess that somehow I'm kind of uh, vicariously being one through my music. One of her biggest hits, Waka Waka, the anthem for the 2010 Soccer World Cup, had African roots. There are songs that make you feel like a dog biting your own tail. You never, you never figure it out. And there are songs that are so easy that just come to you. Songs like Waka Waka, for example. That came to you easily. The music and the lyrics came to me at the same time. You're a soldier, choosing your battle. You're a good soldier, choosing your battles. Pick yourself up, dust yourself up, back in the saddle. I'm like, I need a paper, I need a pen, a paper, and a pen, someone, run. 
Waka Waka hit number one in more than 15 countries, racked up more than 2.5 billion views on YouTube, and it swept Gerard Piquet into her life. And it's Gerard Piquet! The Barcelona soccer star was one of several World Cup players who appeared in the music video. For me, it was like very shocking. I had to dance. <laughs> I'm not. Well, that's not dance. Going like this. No, no, that's I, had not to, dancing. I had to do some, some, <laughs> you, you know, some movement. Yeah, I had to do the waka waka. And for me, it was ridiculous. But his one-second cameo was enough to catch Shakira's eye. I wasn't a soccer fan, so I didn't know who he was. When I when I saw the video, I was like, hmm, that one's kind of cute. <laughs> and then someone decided to introduce us. Yeah. The couple now has two boys, live in Barcelona, and have enough combined star power that Forbes magazine named them one of the most powerful couples on the planet. For all intents and purposes, you, you two are married, but you're not... We're not officially married. married. <laughs> to tell you the truth, marriage scares the out of me. I don't want him to see me as the wife. Yeah. I'd rather him see me as his the girlfriend. girlfriend. Yeah. Exactly. Hmm. His lover, his girlfriend, like a little <laughs> forbidden fruit, you know? I want to keep him on his toes. I want him to think that anything's possible depending on behavior. <laughs> <laughs> Anything's possible should be the mantra for Shakira Isabel Mubarak Ripoll. At 10, she entered a singing contest and won. At 13, she signed her first record deal. Five years later, she was one of the biggest rockeras, rock stars, in Latin America. But she craved a broader audience. So she learned English, studied the lyrics of Bob Dylan and the poetry of Walt Whitman, and at age 24, was blasting up the U.S. charts with a new look and a new song. What made you believe you could make it in the United States? Destiny? I had no doubt in my mind. I had visions of what was going to happen to me since a very early age. It was a steady rise until 2018 when she ran afoul of Spanish authorities over when she took up residence and how much tax she owes. She is paid about $16 million while she fights the assessment. It's a staggering sum that would have been unimaginable to a young Shakira. When she was seven, her father's jewelry business went bankrupt. The family went from middle class to poor overnight. What impact did that have on you? Oh, a tremendous impact. It was really important to me to vindicate my family's financial situation and social status um, and to a point that it became uh, an obsession to me, a healthy obsession, I, I would say, you know, to, to succeed in life, to bring my dad and my mom out of that precarious situation. I think that I would not be the same person if my dad hadn't had that financial setback. Her father scraped together the money to keep his bookish daughter in Catholic school. At 18, with money from her first hit album, she started a foundation to educate disadvantaged children. Why'd you do that? You were a kid yourself. I was a kid myself. I grew up witnessing that many kids my age 
many kids just like me, instead of going to school, were sleeping barefoot in the park. Hola. She has built six schools and educated 23,000 children in Colombia. She's considered a global leader on education who lobbies presidents to invest in early childhood development. I've always been convinced that my purpose in life is not to shake it endlessly. You know, <laughs> I had to, there's got to be so much more to it, you know. My musical career has served as a vehicle to work uh, for children, which is the project of my life. Changing lives, creating music. She says she's as driven as ever. She was working on her latest hit. Got you moving. Got me hey, moving. And your hips don't rise. Yeah. <laughs> in true Shakira fashion, she thought it could be better. And there's something in the frequency of the bass that is bugging me a little bit. <laughs> I was just feeling it as I was listening. Pop star, mother, philanthropist. It's a lot to carry on her five foot three inch frame. On a walk in Barcelona, we got a taste of what it's like to be Shakira. Can I have a photo for yeah, you? Of course. The Super Bowl was just weeks away. You'll see me in all my splendor. <laughs> Meaning, <laughs> I'd be like, Stressed out. <laughs> that, she told us, is part of her process, her drive for perfection, which is taking her all the way to the Super Bowl. I know that was in my to-do list. So uh, February 3rd, I'm going to go check. You said you like your music to say something. What will be the message that you will send in your Super Bowl performance? I think the message is, is going to be, listen, I'm a woman. I'm a Latina. It wasn't easy for me to get to where I am. And being at the Super Bowl is the proof that everything is possible. That the dreams of a little girl from Barranquilla, Colombia, were made of something, of what dreams are made of. And I'm going to be there giving it all. When you choose Organic Valley, not only will you be enjoying great-tasting dairy, you'll help to save over 1,600 small organic family farms who are protecting over 400,000 acres of organic farmland and all the plants and animals that call it home. This is dairy you can feel good about. It's great-tasting, high-quality organic dairy ethically sourced from small organic family farms. To find Organic Valley Dairy near you, visit ov.coop. That's ov.coop. I'm Bill Whitaker. We'll be back next week with another edition of 60 Minutes. In the 1980s, Frank Farian was riding high as a successful German music producer, but he was bored. German pop was formulaic, dull, and oh so white. Frank had bigger dreams, American dreams. He wanted to create the kind of music that would rival larger-than-life artists like Michael Jackson or Run DMC. So he assembled a hip-hop duo. 
two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? One very important element was missing, but Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's biggest controversies. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when their adoring fans learned about the infamous lip-syncing, their downfall was swift and brutal. With exclusive interviews from frontman Fab Morvan and his producers Frank Varian and Ingrid Segui, this podcast takes a fresh look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Follow Blame It on the Fame wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free by joining Wondery Plus.